Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. What's up, what's up everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome back to the show. If you haven't checked it out, last week we spoke with Dom and I'm not even gonna try to hit that last name again. Um, but what we did speak about is some of the major mistakes people make in telling their sales story and what you need to do in order to step up your sales game. So you're gonna wanna dive into that. This is relevant for anybody. We are focused on these impacting entrepreneurs, the change creators, making a difference. If you can't make the sales, you can't get the money, and you can't scale your impact. So we've got to know how to speak to the customers. We've got to know how to attract them. And we've got to know how to tell our sales story. Today, we're going to be uh, in an interview with Joel Solomon. Guys, he is the cover story for issue 24. We're almost at 25 editions of Change Creator Magazine. How exciting is that? So issue 24 just came out February 15th. If you haven't checked it out already, you're going to want to get in there because this interview, this cover story is killer. Joel Solomon's experience is incredible. He's been in the impact space for over 30 years. He's an impact investor. So if you want to know what they look for, well, Joel's the guy to ask, right? So he's a, he's a good resource for that advice. And he also has incredible insights just about the direction of the impact space, the world, the way things are working. There's a lot of context put into place with this, um, this article. So what really inspired me, if you guys haven't heard me talk about it already, was his book, The Clean Money Revolution. This is an incredible book. It will inspire you to take action, and it gives you a ton of foundational insights. Again, you're going to want to tap into this stuff, guys. It makes you really smart about the steps you're taking, um, and it will inspire you with the work that you're doing. So check that out. That is in the Change Creator Magazine app right now and ready to rock and roll. Plus, guys, don't forget to check out the event guide. We updated the event guide for 2019, and we are ready to rock and roll. So find the events that are relevant to you. This is where you build partnerships, distribution deals, network. You never know where that next conversation is going to take you. And if you guys want to say what's up, we are going to be at the Buy Good, Feel Good conference in April. We are the official sponsors there and we're excited to go and be immersed in the conscious entrepreneur, shopper, distributor, manufacturer world. So guys, be out there. It's in Toronto. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. All right, let's jump into this interview with Joel. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast Show. How are you doing today? I'm pretty pretty good this morning. It's bright and sunny in Vancouver. Love that. Love that. Uh, bright and sunny in Miami, and it puts a smile on our faces, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those gloomy days will bring you down. Um, awesome. You know, you know, as you know, uh, Amy's out in Canada. So I've only been to Canada once, but I have not been to your part of Canada. So I don't know the Florida of Canada yet, but uh, maybe, maybe one of these days I'll get out there. <laughs> more, more commonly, it's, uh, it's referred to as California of Canada. That's actually a, probably a better descriptor. But Okay, got it. Yeah. Awesome. So I like to start off just understanding a little bit about where you are today and what you're currently working on. Could you share a little bit of that? Sure can. I have a very diverse portfolio of activities. That's because I have infinite curiosity and passion for moving as many things forward as possible. That comes from a history uh, as a French-intensive biodynamic gardener, uh, which uh, is about diversity and complexity. So I, I use that theory in 
what we call business politics, you know, whatever it is in my day job, so to speak, or well, my day and night job. <laughs> but in any case, uh, right now I'm I've I hit 64 a few weeks ago. Nice. I am unwinding from a few of my longtime major responsibilities. I won't list them due to time here, but <laughs> I'm in that process of shifting from hard labor with specific deadlines, goals, and, and deliverables to more of a role in talking about bigger ideas and wanting to activate, agitate, and influence. Okay. So that's uh, where I'm headed. And uh, the activities that remain, the, there's one that's central, uh, which is a day job, and that is Renewal Fund's mission venture capital business. We invest in uh, organic food, green household, and environmental technologies in the U.S. and Canada. And we've got a great team here in Vancouver. We invest on both yeah, so both sides of the border. Yeah. And we have several hundred uh, limited partners uh, all across the world, uh, charitable foundations. But uh, we are a above market rate return target, and uh, we have a good time with it. That sounds amazing. And I'm going to be curious to dive into a little bit about your um, strategy around those investments. Um, but before we do that, I want to give people just a little bit more background. And anybody that hasn't read the book, Queen Money, it's an excellent, excellent book. Um, you get my stamp of approval on that one. It's awesome. a it's a page turner, honestly. I mean, I guess for me, because it really hits home with my values and the way you know the world is transitioning. Um, and I think you articulate things well and you provide context, which is valuable as well. So I'd like you to share maybe a little bit of your past of what has led you to um, where you are today. And I know that's a lot to, to, to ask, um, but maybe a couple key things that you think stand out. Um, for example, before you dive into it, you know, you know, you were almost going into uh, the legacy of, you know, this mall business and you decided to change, have a change of heart. You went your own path, like stuff like that might be nice in a nutshell to give people that that background. Yes. <clears throat> if you do the math, uh, 64 years old, I'm a child of the 50s and 60s, and I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Small city, uh, a time of great upheaval and questioning of things going on, from civil rights to Vietnam War to questioning capitalism. And uh, society in, in, in America was, was really uh, uh, challenged at the time. Uh, Unlike today, where it's severely, severely challenged, but, yes. but those, those look like the good old days. But uh, <laughs> in any case, um, I grew up around that, and I would say strong uh, entrepreneur father who who was really good with relationships and warmth and and a people person. My mother was an early uh, professional woman, which was unusual in the South, and she had several different significant roles uh, that uh, included being the first white recruiter on black college campuses in the South for Kennedy's Agency for International Development, which was all considered very high-minded and mm -hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing back then. She became an artistic photographer later, and seeing the world through her eyes has uh, been a great influence on me. She is uh, alive today in her late 80s and still producing books and shows. And so those two influences were really important. I'm also Jewish, and my family uh, come from roots that escaped from oppression in Eastern Europe. And 
forged off into a new country and a, and a new land. And uh, there were incidences of the Jewish community in Atlanta, where my grandfather first went facing Ku Klux Klan marches and lots of scary stuff. They, yeah. they moved up to Chattanooga, where it was a little quieter. My family became very civically involved, I think, because of that. The idea that you ignore politics at your peril, and I would repeat that for people today. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of cynicism about voting and being yeah. involved, but uh, you, you better think carefully about that. So out of that background, my, my family first was in the movie theater business and then in the shopping mall business. I was not a big fan of the paved paradise and put up a parking lot. And, uh, you know, I was just generally uh, questioning things. So from there, I uh, got involved in Jimmy Carter's presidential campaign in my late teens. And that was a pretty extraordinary thing to watch a guy be a one-term governor of Georgia, former peanut farmer, (laughs) decide to be president and pull it off. Yeah. And so I went through that experience, which was great. Uh, Every, all my friends, everybody in the campaign went into government. I got diagnosed soon after that with my father and his family's genetic kidney disease called polycystic kidney. And I was told I could die very soon, I could live long, and there was nothing I could do about it. And that was the great uh, prophecy or uh, impetus in my life to get me to go out and figure out what I really cared about, live in my body some, uh, be in nature, do some, have some great adventures there. And out of that, came the understanding that I was born into what had become a privileged background and I should use those I should use what I learned there but focus them on what I really believed in and turn those tools towards as positive a force in the world as I could and so I made that decision I went back in and thus uh, today the clean money revolution yeah I love that and one of the things I'll point out that I thought was really interesting is just the uh, epiphany you had when you thought about how putting clean food into your body would create clean blood. This stands out to me. And then you started thinking about that with the big picture of, you know, uh, the world itself, you know, putting clean money through the system to create a healthier world. And I thought that was a really cool analogy. It became the grand metaphor of my life. Yeah. And there was a, a very important moment for me uh, uh, TEDx was really big and uh, significant in Vancouver. It was the biggest one in the world, and I got invited to speak there. I was not a public speaker. I got uh, a lot of they, – they had good coaches. They really worked you over. And through that process, I, I, I had to think about this, this story of the kidney being such a driver for me, and the, the clean blood and clean money analogy became so clear to me. We, if the kidney cleans the blood in our body and takes out toxins, what are we doing for the planet? What do we do for all of the issues about where does stuff come from? Uh, how do we take care of what was 3 billion people when I was born? and is now almost 8 billion and still and still climbing. So it, it, pretty quickly you think about, you read the labels on food when you get a health diagnosis and you, and you don't know what they are and you, didn't know, you knew a lot less back then. That led me to organic food investing. And from there, you know, one thing builds on another and I really concluded that we have a very unhealthy monetary relationship uh, as humans. And that uh, we need to think more deeply about money. And I'll just, I'll go ahead and say this, which could be a closing line, but 
I believe that we face the need for a spiritual evolution, that the feminization, inclusivization, and indigenization of the economy is what is going to navigate us through the challenges of today. So that's my strong belief. Clean, clean money, clean health, clean planet, great future. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I like the, um, I love the direction. I love the metaphor. And I start getting curious, um, you know, just about like, there's a lot that has to rely on the decisions people make. Um, and I'm wondering um, what your thoughts are on right now. I know I'm trying to remember the numbers. Isn't there, there's a major transfer of money happening with the millennial generation that you point out, like trillions of dollars. Is that correct? Yeah, they, they estimate uh, that $50 trillion, if you include all of North America, will change hands through death over the next three decades. Right. And, and if you take the planet, I, I just I pick a number of $100 trillion Just I, I don't really know what the planetary wealth is. But it's passing hands. And it's passing hands from people that grew up in a different generation and under a different mindset. And this spiritual evolution, in my mind, <clears throat> really just says – I believe that we will have to wake up to the sacredness of this planet, of life, of having uh, a decent society, and soon we will connect the fact that where our money is, how we got it, where it comes from, and how it affects people and places is actually us. It's, it's me. <laughs> my, na my name is on that money. And we've been brought up or, or come into a society where it's it's been it's been made okay not to think about that, but just look at the return rate and not worry about what it does to other people. Yeah, I don't think that will go on. Right. And, well, we hope not. Right. So the thing that I struggle with is, you know, you look at how we got to where we are, and you mentioned the Lewis Powell memo, which I did read, and you know, it makes my skin crawl today reading right. these types of things. Um, but there are, to me, you know, I, I mentioned in a prior conversation to this call, um, you know, I'm a big fan of human behavior. So as I read your book and right. I read things about like Lewis Powell, and these are people that are they're instigating and shaping um, ideas and, and manipulating people. And I guess that's the word I'm, I'm coming up with here. Um, so is it, I mean, it's hard to avoid. And right now there is a major transition in how the younger generation is behaving. So I'd be curious to tap into that. But how do you avoid stronger, uh, more influential people like the Lewis Powells of the world to continue um, with their behavior to keep things as status quo? Well, I think it's the grand work of this generation and, and the next one. And <clears throat> like I said about politics, uh, ignore it at your peril. I think if we ignore these questions, the signs are clear that we will go through some very significant global disasters. So we either are just going to head into that blindly and, and uh, partying, uh, you know, yeah. just, just consuming and wasting and, and all of that and not worrying about justice or, or fairness on the planet. Uh, or limits, we'll we'll go down that route, and it's getting becoming obvious that we will then face great chaos, challenges, and a lot of pain and suffering. So, with human intelligence as it is right now, the information access that we have, generational changes, yeah, it's a lot of pressure on on you young folks. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's it, I, I, there's so much information and intelligence out there now, and there is so much ingenuity. The positive and silver lining to this, which you saw in the book, is I maintain that 
creating a more just, clean, and safe economy is a huge money-making opportunity. We've, we see industries across sectors, really, that are creating great wealth based on doing things with less waste, uh, with better forms of energy, with less toxic substances. And there's huge invention going on in, in that realm. You, ca you can't look at any industry, the oil, and not see this. The oil industry is figuring out how to do less damage while it does what it does. They still got to deal with climate effects. Uh, pharmaceutical companies are, are having to get more responsible. The auto industry is moving towards uh, much lighter impact vehicles. And cities are being designed uh, smarter and more efficiently. So human ingenuity has a chance here. Yeah. Hu human frailty and uh, weakness, I guess, or, or inability or unwillingness to think about these things or gr simple greed uh, uh, put us in a, in a, at a real risk. And I want to say with at least half the world's population having to worry every day how to feed their family and put a roof over their heads, this is about the, the kind of imbalance of where wealth, money, and power is going. That can be changed through policy and intention. I don't expect people that are struggling to survive through the day to be thinking about all these questions I'm talking about. I'm speaking to the upper 20%, I don't, you name your number, yeah. that actually have access to education, to ability to get a decent job, and to, and to build the kinds of futures that uh, we saw earlier generations do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I should take a pause there. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, you know, it's interesting because I think you're right. We don't need, we need it. I like the top 20%. And I've heard others even say that we need, you know, a hundred of the most brilliant minds really to get together and basically have more education for people to understand, you know, what the direction that we need to go is and why and have more transparency around this. There's so much manipulation um, that you see, you know, every time I get in a debate with somebody who's, who I believe is on the wrong side of history, they're going to say, if I can, I can point out any science to support anything that is deeply supported. And then they're just going to come back and say, well, I could show you a, another scientist who says just the opposite. It's always the same thing. And it drives me crazy that there's just these two sides of the story. So I look at the data, I see what Gen Z, uh, their attitudes and behaviors are, millennials, and it is a transition. I just hope that we can push it to happen as fast as possible. And of course, that's why Change Creator is trying to drive that innovation. And I'll steal your, your word and say, we're trying to create clean entrepreneurship and clean uh, media. Right, right. right. <laughs> you, you know, in, in, the, in the early days, everyone looked to the uh, shaman or the uh, uh, the reverend or the, you know, and the spiritual leaders, and they told us what life was about and how you're supposed to do it. And, and uh, that phase, right or wrong, good or bad, uh, took us up to a billion in population and then carried on from there. And a lot of the religions, unfortunately, really became apologists yeah. for uh, greed and exploitation. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> I apologize to the religions, but yeah. that's how I see it. And so you do need people to express the big picture and the and morals and a viewpoint of the long-term future. So that is something. What what will happen and becomes that kind of force on the planet that helps us in, mediate these these discussions or at least provides the right kind of education and ideas in early childhood. Um, these are these are the challenges, and this is the, this. No matter how bad the news is, we're alive. We're here. 
We're experiencing it, and we are ancestors for what's coming after us. It's really our responsibility. And I like to think about the fact that those people a generation or two down the road are going to be studying this period, and they're going to be looking at us, and they're going to want to know what did we do in the face of what is compelling information from my point of view, that is very clear. You just look at the acceleration of ice melt, ocean warming, uh, ocean rise sure. as just one topic. So there are always people that end up having reasons to discount and justify their own, let's say, uh, uh, selfish mentality is, is what I think about it. So that's just yeah. part of the human condition. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of a lot of times you have the selfish mentality, and also sometimes people they just want to ignore it because they just can't be bothered. It's too, uh, it's too much to to take on, or they just don't care. <laughs> you know, Ig- ignore politics, ignore the yeah, global situation, yeah. ignore ecological disaster at your peril, and hopefully there will be grownups and uh, wise people that can. Help us through this time. Uh, look, if, if you know, if you ask the next question, am I optimistic or pessimistic? I, I just say, in my mind, I'm pretty pessimistic. <laughs> in my in in my heart, I have no option. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, I I I guess subconsciously I have a, a level of pessimism, but I would I always try to be optimistic, and that's why we all do what we do, right? We take the action that we take. We wake up every morning. And, you know, we leave a legacy behind. I love that you talked about how we become the ancestors. And I think that's really true. What will be your legacy? And there is there is a major shift in how we think about, um, you know, having a job versus becoming your own personal brand, having living that unique genius that you have and how important that actually is becoming to the world. Um, you know, we've interviewed the founder of Mercy for Animals and what they're doing uh-huh. for the animal movement and things like that. There's people out there that start. It's like you start as an activist and that is firing people up to figure out how to just make that their life mission. Yeah, I, I think that the a, one of the single most important questions that should be brought to our attention as soon as we're at consciousness is how much is enough? Now, you can fill in after that, are we talking about money, are we talking about power, are we talking about ego? But I'm talking about how much is enough money right now in particular. The idea that infinite accumulation of wealth (laughs) is nobility, and it's what makes us heroic and important in the world and mean something, is a really corrupt concept. When I faced that myself, I was very confused, uh, as in my early 20s, for a white male North American Basically, the option was be a billionaire or you're not really made of much. You're kind of a weakling. <laughs> so I took that, and I didn't mind the billionaire word. I just didn't like the idea that that meant billionaire of money. And so I, I played with that a lot, and I said, well, what if we all decided to compete on being billionaires of good deeds? And we you know, put charts out about who's the most uh, good deeds in the world, yeah. that kind of thing. Or, or fill in your own blank. Ambition and motivation is an awesome thing, but direct it properly. I want to be a billionaire of good deeds. I want to be a billionaire of love. And I mean love in the sense of caring for the world and the people around me and the future that's coming. So think about what you want to have more of. Enough money. Take care of basic business. Be comfortable if you can pull that off. (laughs) But come on. Do something meaningful besides take – 
$10 million and turn it into $100 million and then to a billion dollars. Because what happens with most of these pots of money is they say, well, I'll give away money. Of course. And it doesn't, it doesn't really happen that often. And a lot of the kind of money that you give away at that level, you know, that's a whole other debate is what's valuable to <laughs> support and not. Yeah. But these are things that we should be taught and we should be thinking about and debating throughout life. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it, it's an interesting process. It's an interesting cultural mindset that has that is slowly being, you know, I guess, um, I guess, uh, changed, right? So that whole billionaire money, money, this mass consumption. I mean, you think about. I've done. I've written some articles on consumption and and population growth rates just because I was so interested. And to your earlier point, I mean, the growth population rate starting from the 1800s to now, as you get more and more to present day, it's staggering year over year how much more accelerated the growth rates are for population. And then when you consider consumption, and then you look at things like, um, you know, the animal agriculture culture or plastic consumption, it's, it all right. just adds up so fast and it's really, um, nerve wracking to, <laughs> to see actually. So, so maybe it'll turn out that human existence as a species was just a big party. It, <laughs> unless we can really change. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible because you can go into certain, um, states where I know I have some friends in the Southern states and stuff like that. And the educational curriculum, I mean, uh, Joel, I mean, they're teaching creationism in some of these places. So it's it's hard to, you know, actually your book inspired me and I made a, a big picture uh, flow chart of like uh, this perspective. And I, I can't remember exactly what the book said, but it talked about some of these, I call them pillars, these regeneration pillars, but business, right. consumerism, consumerism and politics are like the three major players that can shape the world and then the things we need to do. And one of those areas to disrupt and do that was education. I mean, we have to disrupt education. We do. We got a lot of disruption to pull off now. Uh, we need a fair taxation system. We, we, there is no reason we should keep pouring money into people like myself that have more than enough money. We need, uh, we need government. We need an arbiter of the commons. This anti-government thing is, is just uh, atrocious. Somebody has to look out for the commons and think about the bigger picture. We need better regulations. We need responsibility for life cycle as manufacturers. Yeah. We, we, we can't be wasting everything. We can't be poisoning everything. <laughs> we just the, These are things that are fixable through human intelligence and political discipline. Yeah. So we've, any, any of these idealistic statements I'm saying run into the practicality problem of human behavior. Yeah. But this goes back to education system, spiritual exactly. uh, systems, uh, what's the meaning of life. Uh, and uh, we either recapture this stuff or, as I said, let's you know have a good time while it all it's burns. It's our own peril. Yeah, no, it really is. It is, um, you know, it's a collective manifestation, everything that's going on today. So um, those are all really important things. Um, I'd like to just dive in and shift gears just a little bit about your investment strategy. You know, we're, we're, we have a number of entrepreneurs uh, listening and learning. Um, you know, you're an impact investor, uh, a substantial yeah. one. And so your strategy, you talked about organics and some of those other key topics. Um you gave me a little bit of insight about why organics. Uh, can you go through what the strategy is and why? Like, who are you investing in? Why are you investing in them? What do you look yeah. for? Uh, because we're do-gooders that want to change the world, and we believe that uh, the power of and potential of money and economy is crucial to it. So if we can uh, invest – so organic food, clean food, uh, and healthy products – focuses on the human 
directly. Yeah. Uh, it also then goes back, of course, to agriculture, what kind of how the farm workers uh, get dealt with with toxic uh, substances, what happens to the streams and rivers and other species. So you start, though, with with human health, which everybody cares about for themselves. I got in this because I was diagnosed with the kidney disease. Yeah. I walked in a health food store. I didn't even know what any of the stuff was, but I became an organic food investor over time. Environmental technologies really refers to the way that both both of these issues we can we can talk about climate but climate's the grandest challenge of our times uh, i yeah. believe and climate justice the combination of those two words that kind of sums it all up in order to turn around climate change and to have a more fair future is is kind of the key if you had to boil it down to to two words so environmental technologies gives us a way both to get uh, higher valuations uh, that t technology and software companies sell at higher multiples than uh, consumer products do. So we get a, a bit of a balance in our portfolio. And uh, we've got the kind of bread and butter of consumer products and things that are on the grocery shelves. And then with environmental technologies, we can get into more efficient cities, uh, green building techniques. Um, uh, optimizing for utilities, uh, how they deal with distributed renewables now, and, and topics like that. So that's the underlying philosophy is we're do-gooders that believe that we can show an above-market return rate while investing in things that matter with entrepreneurs who actually care <laughs> and are in it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, and so how do you guys take on um, entrepreneurs? Are you going out and finding them? Are they coming to you? Is it both? Uh, what do you look for in a business? Yeah, this this business is fascinating in the sense that you never know where you'll find the next great company. And uh, it, it's it's fun and challenging in a good way in that regard. And it's challenging in tough ways because uh, building companies is not easy. But uh, we, we do several things. One is you build a reputation and you get known and you get stuff that just comes in the door or people uh, make referrals and you know somebody knows somebody. Second is we go out and search. If we have a slow period going on in our office, we're about a 12-person staff. Some of the, we'll, we'll talk about what issue areas do we want to get involved in. This started when we decided we needed to be in plant-based foods. Uh, and we've we've tried to look at ocean issues and uh, the, these green technology things. So we will go. We will search the internet. We'll look at companies. We'll go to the B Corporation uh, list. Who who has taken on that uh, kind of commitment? Because it tells us something about their values. Doesn't tell us everything, but it helps. And so we we actually will cold call and talk to companies. And of the 21 companies we've invested in over three portfolios now. Uh, we we found about uh, five of those through cold call, and they're some of our better companies. These are entrepreneurs that went into it thinking they were scared of venture capital. They uh, you know they they wanted to keep uh, total control and and keep the purity of the company, and then they reach an exhaustion point, and then they want to look for people with a reputation a legitimate reputation that can be good partners to them and not just be vultures. Yeah. So the advantage of the bad reputation that venture capital has is we have I believe there are there's decades of reputation and proof of who we are and what we're about behind us and so that allows us to be you know we may not be 
as clever as the the sharkier investors. I mean, they you know they may know more tricks, but we know a few, <clears throat> and we know and we know how to help grow a company. So all of that adds up to that's how we find the entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, that's great. It's really helpful, I think, for people listening. Um, and you know, I, I think a big struggle for some of these entrepreneurs is, you know, it's uh, is how to reach out to people, what to send them. So, is yeah. it something, for example, I know you did some cold calls on on your side. I'm sure people are sending you information or trying to pitch you. So, yes. you know, is it the executive summary? Should they? Do you look for the pitch deck right away? And I'm getting a little tactical because this is the kind of stuff yeah. that is really helpful for people who are trying to make it. Um, and, it, and are you looking for certain size companies and stuff like that? Yeah. So we look at uh, one to two million in sales before we get in because we are early growth stage. We're not doing uh, pure startups ourselves. Mm -hmm. These days, there's an incubator and a training system that is out there at almost every university and spinoffs of, of all kinds where you can get into an environment and learn the uh, accepted ways that these things happen. And you can also, I, I, I mean, I watch people that just self-learn by, you know, searching the internet and things like that. And but you need some practical mentors typically who maybe have a bit more experience and have been through it. So we get hundreds and hundreds of applications that just come from our website right. through the door, yep. or people see the name and they and they do that. And then you know that two things are going on. You've got investors who are all blocked away in their in their <laughs> cubby holes or their or their offices, and they're trying to find the best entrepreneurs. And then you got probably a lot more entrepreneurs, definitely a lot more entrepreneurs, and they're all getting together and try to figure out how to hunt and find that money. Yep. So some of that can become pretty brutal and soulless and not very humane. What I say, uh, we we, we want to know who the people are and do they really care and why do they care? What's their life about? I like to ask them the question back to the how much is enough. <clears throat> what are you going to do after you get successful? How successful do you need to be and what will you do with that success? Because that starts to reveal, is this person just lost in greed or they care about something? Yeah. Um, and I recommend that entrepreneurs do that same thing. I love it when people are interviewing us as much as we're interviewing them and they're doing due diligence on us because this is a kind of a marriage. You get into a five to 15 year relationship with a group of people, both directions. So you want that to be <clears throat> as good as your best relationships are. Yeah, makes sense. So back to the uh, practical, what do you put in it? Well, there's basics. <clears throat> when I'm out raising money, I'm sending an overview, a, a you know, couple page summary that tells the key facts. Most people need that. Secondly, then a slide deck that tells a bit more of story. And then third, there's a private placement memorandum, which uh, goes into all the legal details and all the uh, deal between, in, in our case, between limited partners and ourselves. And so there's some version of that that I want to see about a company. Um, the, uh, people will create uh, drop boxes for uh, uh, deal uh, deal rooms where they'll put lots of information about their company there so that once they agree, they let somebody look and give them the code. Uh, they can come in and as transparent as you can be is is really important because yeah. once people find out you've done other than that, then they're going to walk away. So, so there's a basic package. Uh, it's becoming more and more commonly known. You got to be succinct to get 
the first look. <laughs> Don't go into you know deep, deep, long things because people are seeing there's so many, there's such an entrepreneur culture that's exploding across the landscape. Yeah. So then, okay, so that's the basic. From there, of course, just like anything has worked probably throughout history, are introductions and inside track. So that happens either through individuals that that trust and know you who have connections. There's also a huge ecosystem across the landscape now of conferences, gatherings, pitch sessions, uh, trainings, and all this kind of thing. And when I started, as you saw in the book, there was basically – there were almost no organizations that you could go to and mix it up between investors and uh, entrepreneurs. Now it's it's I I used I thought I knew almost everything that happened across the entire continent back in those days thirty years ago, and now I can't keep up in my own city. So there's there's an explosion underway. Uh, money is out there. Look, people that make a lot of money then have to invest it. Yeah. You know, you could put it in the stock market, but but most of them know think they can do better than that, and they don't want it all there. So you got to go. Uh, one thing about finding money is it's really helpful to go to where money is. So <laughs> when you know you have to have those relationships, you have to know those moves, those dance moves, kind of thing. So uh, you know, assess your landscape. Where do you think the gaps are? Uh, come to understand where you can fill in those gaps. People are very helpful these days, and as I said, uh, you know the universities are pumping out uh, trainings, and uh, all, we're we're in an entrepreneurial cult- culture. Some of that is awesome, and some of that is kind of not got very good values, and it just feels <laughs> exploitive. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. No, that's great. I think that's really helpful for people to hear and understand. Um, Really, really appreciate it. We are, we're at the end of our time. So I want to be respectful of that. Uh, But let's give a shout out to how people can find you, how they can learn more about your book, but also renewal funds and see what you have going on and the type of companies you're investing in. So if you can just give a a shout to those URLs and let them know how to contact you and find you. Three things. Uh, Renewal funds. Dot com mm-hmm. is the business, uh, the, you know, the, the investment business. And we have a section there for entrepreneurs and then for investors to look at and get the basics of how we like to be approached and how our process works. And then about the book, uh, joelsolomon.org. And so I'll have this podcast on there and there's a whole bunch of podcasts and uh, reviews and articles and the things that authors like to do. Yep speaking engagements, things like that. And then the third I want to mention is I am on social media under my name, uh, the, the major ones at least. Awesome. And I, I find it an uh, important part of my news flow and uh, relationship world, and so you can check those out also. All right, guys, you'll find uh, Joel's name in the uh, show notes and this other information. Um, if you want to look as soon as you hear this, it'll be S-O-L-O-M-O-N, just to spell that last name, because uh, some people use a U. Um, That's right. <laughs> Joel, Triple thanks. O. <laughs> exactly. Triple O's, right, exactly. This was an exciting conversation. I appreciate uh, talking on these topics and everything that you're doing. So thank you for taking the time. 
Oh, it's such a pleasure. And thanks for the work that you're doing with the magazine and the podcast. It's really important. Appreciate it. All right, we'll be in touch. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast.